0: Today on the Scott Radley show on 900 CHML.
1: Let us start today with uh this is an unfortunate story. Uh it really is. And this is not the first time. But there are those on the um out in the beach strip area who more than a few times now have woken up to find gunk or residue or fallout or I don't know, just general sky crap. All over their stuff, and that happened again this weekend. This week, uh, a dirty white sticky substance was all over their houses and cars and everything else when they woke up. I want to bring in um, Sandra Snowden. She lives in that area, and uh, I understand that she she may have also fallen victim to the sticky, gross sky crap. Is, is that correct, Sandra?
2: Yes, it is.
1: So, te- tell tell hear- us tell us what this was like i am i'm I'm looking at some pictures and it's hard to to really make it out describe what was on your car or your house or wherever
2: well it was um predominantly on the car so um uh, a good friend of mine from collingwood nice fresh air collingwood came down uh saturday and uh we noticed sunday morning um my car it looked like i had gone through a really dusty construction site so I'm looking at my car, and I'm like, this is this is not normal. So she was actually at the townhouse complex that I live in. Um, she was parked actually closest to the highway. Uh, she brought her car over. It looked worse than mine. So we, um, we looked at it. it, it uh, we tried to rinse it off um, multiple times. It did not rinse off. It was just totally covered. Um, it was like this white film. Um, and embedded into not only the, the um, paint, but also the, uh, the, um, the glass, the, the windshield. So, um, so, yeah, we were quite surprised. Um, and then through the afternoon, we had um, uh, someone from the uh, Ministry of Environment um, taking samples uh, from our vehicles.
1: Sandra, have you lived in the beach strip for a long time?
2: Uh, yes, um, this is my fourth year, and uh, I've never experienced anything um, as uh, severe as this has.
1: Have there been? But we've heard of other things. Like, have you experienced other things falling that you don't know what they are, or is this really the first at all?
2: Uh, Besides the multitude of birds that hit the lines, um, no, uh, there has been incidences of product or uh, um, debris falling from the sky. Um, onto our vehicles, onto our um, patio tables, etc. But um, even the following day, uh, Monday, there was still some particulate uh, that was falling. I had uh, two uh, professional car washes done on Monday, uh, brought it home, and there was still this fine uh, matter that uh, that was falling and uh, landing. And not only on our on our personal um, uh, homes, our cars—you know—we are breathing this in. That's what I was going to ask you think, about. Yeah, yeah that's
1: it's
3: disturbing.
1: That's yeah. what I was going to ask because that would—I mean—I would be concerned about that. The car thing—I—I'd be ticked off about my car and maybe concerned about exactly. that. But but what you're breathing in and not knowing—that would be what worries me.
2: Exactly. And um, I reached out to Stelco; they basically denied um, it was them. Um, but you know, with the uh, with the MOE testing, uh, it might take about two weeks for results. Um, but they will determine um, the company that, uh, that caused this uh, huge issue.
1: So we don't know who caused it, but let, let's say that the MOE, the Ministry of the Environment, does this, and let's say they say, oh, it's totally harmless. Sandra, it's totally harmless. There's nothing there. Don't worry about it. Are you easily believing of that, or are you going to be skeptical?
2: Oh, I will be very skeptical. <laughs> if, it's, if it's burning into our uh, paint and uh, windshields in our cars, can't be really good for your health.
1: So uh, have you, uh, have, do you have costs then to go with this? Because you say there's been other things at other times, but it's not been the same. I mean, you've gone to get a couple of car washes. That's, you know, that's a few bucks granted, mm-hmm. but.
2: No, I've, n- I've not had anything besides, you know, your regular car wash. But right now, um, with this not even coming off my windshield, um, and it was raining today, it was smearing. I could, ba- I could barely see. So something something has to be done. Uh, something has to, someone has to be paying and be accountable for, um, this damage.
1: All right. Let me, let me ask you on uh, uh, maybe it's an unfair question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. And that is there are people, if you move to an area near an airport and then complain about the sound, people say, come on, you, you moved to that area. You have to know that there was going to be the sound of airplanes coming and going. You Can't complain about that. What about the idea? If you move into an, uh, an industrial area, should you not expect there's going to be some stuff falling on you?
2: Oh, totally. And, uh, on my Facebook side, i been I mean, basically told the pollution was there before you were. If you don't like it, move. But, you know, you, you, you take it, you know, I, I do love the beach and, um, I do have to look across the road and yes, there's Stelco. There's all the, uh, pollutants, et cetera. Um, it is, it is something that obviously, um, I'm concerned about. But with this last fallout, um, uh, I think it's more than just a, you know, it's a little, a slight breeze with some, uh, a few little dust particles. When your, when your cars are totally coated in white, um, and you know that it happens during the night, it is, uh, it is very discerning. And unfortunately, I can't get up and just move. Um, prices are very expensive everywhere, so that's not a, that's not an option right now.
1: The of the ward councilor Matt Francis for Ward Five, which is your ward, um, he, he is certainly aware of this. I guess enough people have reached out uh, that he is aware. One of the things, though, he says the city doesn't have. He told the Spectator the city doesn't have jurisdiction over air pollution. It, do you do you buy that? Should the city be able to do something about this, or are you taking that word and saying, yeah, you know what, this isn't a city issue. This is something else. Um, I th- I
2: think it's I think it is something else. Um, and I think it's the, uh, the power in numbers as well. Um, I'm, I'm not going to sit by and just say, hey, it's a polluted area. It's where I live. I accept it. Um, if, if, it's, if it's not a city issue, then I feel that, uh, um, you know, uh, with, the, uh, with the people that have had issues with this, um, the power in numbers, um, I'd like something done about it.
1: Have you heard, uh, we only have a few seconds left here, have you heard from other neighbours? Have you talked to your neighbours about this? Are they all saying the same thing?
2: Uh, pretty much. Um, I Just by the looks of all the cars in my townhouse complex, everybody has issues. Whoever had their car left out um, last Saturday night, um, they are experiencing the same issues.
1: Yeah, well, and and one of the people, unfortunately, I shouldn't laugh. I'm not laughing at them. It's just a it's a a line they they said. You know, it's unfortunate they left their window open that night. Uh, probably, yeah, pro- that would be unfortunate if you had your windows open when this was coming in, because now it's all over your house too. It's uh,
2: exactly, and yes, and and it does come in through the house, and I'm always wiping everything, window sills. So yes, it it does make its way into everybody's homes too.
1: That is Sandra Snowden. Uh, She lives in the area that was uh, that was doused with the uh, as we call it the sticky white sky crap, which uh, we'll find out what it is eventually. I'm assuming, but uh, Sandra, listen, I really appreciate taking a few minutes. And uh, unfortunate that we have to be talking about this, but I appreciate taking some time today.
0: Thanks so much. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
1: Well, as you've been hearing for much of the day today, the Tiny Homes Project, the one through hats. Which, by the way, uh, before we get into this, I just want to say that I, I don't think this is a hats issue. We'll talk with my next guest about it. I think this is a city issue that this thing got mangled. I, I think I, I think hats got caught in the middle of this thing and ends up having to sometimes look bad. But I, I'm not blaming hats on this one. But anyway, uh, that the one on Strawn Avenue, just behind Leuna station, that is no longer going to happen. The costs are going to be too much, Hat says, and it was not really an ideal location to begin with. Is this a victory now for the North Enders? Do they feel like they finally got heard? Victoria Mancinelli is Director of Public Relations and Marketing and Strategic Partnerships with Leuna, who joins us now. Victoria, thanks for this today.
4: Hey, Scott, how are you?
1: I'm good. I'm guessing, uh, well, I don't know. I shouldn't guess it, it. Do you see this as a victory for North Enders who finally had their voices heard?
4: You know, in in one part, yes. Um, it finally brings their concerns uh, to the forefront here, but you know, to say it's a victory while people are still in encampments along strong, um, just shows that we have a long way to go before we can actually say that this is a success
1: yeah, the 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 victory part that I, I guess I wonder about is we've seen in other cities in Kitchener in particular, they have been able to pull this off, but they they consulted and they went somewhere that wasn't necessarily right in the middle of a neighborhood. And so you're absolutely right, I think, that we don't want to be callous to the fact that there are people who need help and people who need housing and people who need shelter over them. But this seems like it was trying so hard a lot of the time to just jam a round peg into a square hole.
4: Yeah, I agree. You know, as soon as I started advocating about this, I said, it seems like Strawn is setting hats up to fail. It wasn't meeting criteria. There was no community consultation. It was just creating such a divide. And when you have something like this, an initiative that is meant to help impact people's lives, We really need to be focusing on community support as well, especially when it's 17 meters from somebody's front door and cutting out community in the process was a huge mistake. And I don't put that blame on hats personally. Um, You know, I think it was a multitude of things, including lack of leadership from more to counselor.
1: You talk about the, the, the discussion or the consultation, if this had been what, one of the knocks, one of the things the people were very angry about, and let's let's be honest, they were angry, uh, was that the city had not consulted with them before this decision was made. If that had happened, do you believe that we would have gone down the path that we did? Do you think the city would have plunged ahead anyway, or do you believe that maybe there's a chance that this thing would have found a different way of going?
4: I don't think so. I think that the strong site proves that it fails to meet a lot of the criteria that is needed for this pilot to succeed. A lot of the technicalities were not met. And I think it was because of timelines as well. You know, city staff proposed this site um, given that it would be ready by winter. So a little bit of a rushed decision in my personal opinion and it cut out criteria that we really needed for it to succeed. And not to mention that one of the criteria of HATS is that it's not directly in a neighborhood and that it requires community consultation. So, you know, the North end is not naive here. They've been reading the criteria and they saw the lack of consideration that went into it.
1: You were at that very first meeting that they, that was held at uh, Bonetto school. And the question was raised, you may have raised it. I can't remember. You were very outspoken that day, but the question was raised about how many of the criteria this spot hit. And I can't remember the number. You may know the number better than me. It was like four out of 12 or something like that. Like it was a a very minor number. Were you surprised that day when you saw how few of the criteria were met?
4: I would like to say I was surprised, but I wasn't because I did a little bit of due diligence on the site and was following the criteria on the HATS page. And at that meeting, you know, when I asked that question, uh, Ward 2 counselor basically said, well, we changed the criteria and now we're using different criteria. Well, okay, well, why wasn't that expressed? What is this new criteria? Don't you think the public, especially those living in that area, should have been privy to some of that information? So, you know, we can sit here and we can go on and on about their criteria, but if if we read through HATS is press release that was, um, you know, issued this afternoon, It clearly states that there were just far too many criteria that were ignored on Strawn. And I truly think that this site should have never even been an option.
1: Do you believe that through this process, uh, and you're one of them, do you think that the people in the north end who were opposed to this were painted as the villains?
4: I do. Absolutely. There should not be a mentality here in the city in any ward by any counselor that if you disagree with something that they are saying or trying to push through, that you automatically become a bully. Now, that being said, there is zero, absolutely zero tolerance for violence or threats. So those that were engaging in that kind of behavior, zero tolerance for it, full stop. But at the same time here, like we can't generalize the entire North End as being these big bad bullies because they want their concerns to be heard and heard by council members that were elected to represent their constituents, every single constituent.
1: Yeah, so you, uh, look, you're not um, you're not a member of the HATS committee, and, and I don't know where this thing is gonna go. It may have nothing to do with you or with the area down the road, but w- were you opposed to the concept or were you simply opposed to the location?
4: Never opposed to the concept, but always opposed to the location. And what's sad about all of this, truthfully, Scott, is that weeks upon weeks ago, Layuna voiced their collaboration to both City and HATS, saying, let's work together, let's find a new site, let's rally together on support services, and let's make it successful, let's get gain community support, and let's really truly make this pilot successful because it, it can impact so many lives. It, it seemed that that offer was a little bit ignored, and again, not by HATS. I had tremendous meeting by HATS. They were gracious, respectful, and on board for this collaboration. But I think, you know, the doubling down of this site by Cameron and by other members of council, we're trying to force something to work that never was. It was never going to work. So we never opposed concept, but we always opposed location and and that remains.
1: Were the concerns overwrought though? were, Were the people who were concerned about this overly concerned where they didn't need to be, even in retrospect, because, you know, there was a lot of discussion that said, you know, putting them in the tiny homes, putting people in tiny homes will be safer than keeping them in an encampment, which is there right now. It Was this an overreaction by people in the area?
4: You know, I'm not one that can tell somebody how they, they feel or validate those feelings or say that they're not, you know, worthy of being taken into consideration. I think those living directly in the area, would have been impacted by this. Not to mention that even the school board ha- had spoken out about this because that is the um, school route for children in the area. So I think their concerns were absolutely validated. Um, at the same time, now we have to really focus on concerns of the encampments and the in the area because their concerns have been ignored by the city. And you know how long can we keep ignoring? the hazardous material on sidewalks and roads and people break, breaking and in, entering, you know, something really has to be done about this.
1: And where does that stand now? I, I I'll be honest, I have not driven by in the last week or week and a half in that area. I, I, I was driving by with some regularity before then it, it, there was an encampment on that spot. Is there still?
4: There are many. Um, I haven't been down today or yesterday, but in the last few days, there are many. I do know that bylaw was there giving out eviction notices, but keep in mind that was based around hats. And so we're not sure what the encampment protocol looks like on Strawn without this pilot proceeding. So that's something that I believe city staff are working on, and they're going to have to update um, the neighbors on what that would look like. And, you know, when we talk about housing, we talk about the encampments, and I I just want to make this point. Housing absolutely plays a part. It it will provide some stability and, you know, get these folks out of encampments and into warm shelters. But we have to also be looking beyond just, you know, a shelter and a home. We need wraparound support services as well. We need addiction supports. We need mental health supports. We need to try to find employment pathways for for financial stability to really get people off the street here. So we can't be naive and say, yep, let's put them in a tiny shelter and all of our problems are going to go away. That would be great, but it's not realistic. So, you know, LiUNA has really stepped up and we're offering those supports, including food security, mentorship for young women, pathways to employment through training, because we know that it has to be a full circle. It can't just be, you know, tiny shelter. And then then what happens to these folks two years after this pilot is over?
1: That is Victoria Mancinelli. She is Director of Public Relations, Marketing, and Strategic Partnerships with LiUNA. I uh, really appreciate you taking time today. Thanks for this.
4: Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. Have a good one.
0: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
1: My next guest is intelligent. Some of the decisions that we're going to talk about, not so much. We have heard of some ongoing bonkers public spending this week. We're going to start with this one because we'll get to the other one in a second. But earlier this week, uh, thanks to my next guest and his organization. We learned that since 2018, the governor general's office, so not just Mary Simon before her, Julie Payette, since 2018, the governor general of this country has spent $117,000 on dry cleaning, on dry cleaning. Franco Terzano is the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, joins us now. Franco, I'm guessing in the time since 2018, you have not spent more than $110,000 on your dry cleaning, correct?
3: And, and let me tell you, I spill a lot. <laughs> you know, the, first thing I did, the first thing I did this morning, it was like the classic Friday. I'm feeling good. I got my coffee. I'm going to the office. I sit down. Before I take that first step, it's all over my white work shirt. Of course. <laughs> okay? uh- but I didn't build a company for dry cleaning and neither should the governor's general's office, especially when the governor general is making, what, $350,000 a year. Oh, by the way, folks, it gets worse because even though they have been spending 1800 bucks a month on professional dry cleaning, they also have a professional staff to do the laundry at Rideau Hall. So let me just break it all down for you, Okay. You pay for the staff to do the laundry, you pay for the Governor General's massive salary, you even pay for a clothing allowance for the Governor General, and then you pay for the professional dry cleaning.
1: Yeah, I, here's the thing, as soon as I heard this story, and I'm glad you guys brought this up, it was the Canadian Taxpayers Federation that, uh, that brought this to our attention. As so, I, I've never purchased a dry cleaning machine or the apparatus to go with this but I'm looking at this thinking you probably could have bought a dry cleaning machine for less than this and then just had all your cleaning done in-house
3: you know for so much of the governor general's office is spending it's almost like unfathomable you know like we see just how big of the tabs are running up and we're kind of questioning ourselves like How in the world do they even spend that much money? Now, when we found out about the eighteen hundred bucks a month, seven hundred and seventeen thousand dollars since twenty eighteen, we looked into like an actual dry cleaners in Ottawa and we asked them like how much could we actually get dry clean for this? Um and they told us thirteen thousand blouses or six thousand dresses. Folks, um, you know, this might sound kind of crazy that we're going after dry cleaning. And and you know, if this was just a one off expense. Maybe I'd give you that. But unfortunately, we have seen crazy amount of spending after crazy amount of spending from the governor general's office. And what's so unfortunate is that while so many Canadians struggle, when we dig up this extravagance, they don't come up and apologize. They try to hide the issue. And then they've even attacked the media in some instances for reporting on the governor general's waste.
1: Yeah, here's what I don't understand, Franco, and maybe, and I don't know if I've asked you this question before, and and maybe you have an answer, maybe you don't, but I don't believe that uh, Michael Jean or Julie Payette or Mary Simon or Adrian Clarkson, all these people, I don't believe that in their normal life before they became governor general, they were all people who spent wildly and had absolutely no budget. It's it's as if you come into this office and now you have the public money to spend, so you start spending crazily. I, it, I, I don't understand what happens to someone when they are now able to do this, that they decide, I am now the biggest spender in the world.
3: Well, I know what happens, and it's sad that I have to say this out loud, but uh, you're not as frugal when it's not your money.
1: I agree. I agree, the, but that's there's just it, though. but okay. Yeah, so, Frank, I agree, there's but also
3: no transparency. Right? They're not even subject to an access to information request. Did you know that? No, I didn't. You can't, you can't file an access to it. You can't get an access to information request from Rito Hall, right? So they spend about $33, $34 bucks a year from the taxpayer. So we should be able to look at their expenses, but you can't. They're not subject to the same access to information requirements that any other government department is.
1: And you know, to your point about that there that it's other people's money, so you're not gonna be as frugal, I get that. I don't I, I truly don't expect that the Governor General is going to only buy Costco t-shirts and wear that to all of her appointments. I, I like I really don't believe that. I, I understand that there is going to be extra spending for clothing and there's travel. I, I'm not I'm not of the opinion that people who take this job should live on nothing. I just don't understand how you go from point A to point B as opposed to finding something in the middle that you look at and you go, yeah, I can be reasonable.
3: Okay, so I, I, I see your point, but it's so beyond the level of absurd, right? Now, we also broke another story that the Governor General's four-day trip in Iceland, they spent $71,000 at ice limo luxury Travel. Seventy one thousand dollars on limo service. Now, what's so absurd with this is besides the tab, which is like the price of a brand new BMW on a four day trip, is that their hotel was like a 10 minute walk away from the conference center and they still racked up a seventy one thousand dollar tab on ice limos. Okay, so with that type of absurd spending, I think there's three things that are going on here. Number one, the first thing that I said, well, it's not their money, it's other people's money. I think we can all agree to that, at least to an extent, right? Number two is the lack of transparency, right? They don't have the same type of transparency that other government departments are subject to. But number three is that there's also this air of entitlement at Rideau Hall. And I think when a governor general gets put into this type of entitlement culture, you know, you just see the whole staff, the whole bureaucracy, they've been doing these things for so long that they just feel like they're entitled to spend the money that they're spending. But they're not. It's been going on for decades, and it's been wrong for decades. And, you know, I say this time and again, and I truly mean it. Just because you represent a king or queen, it doesn't mean that you should live like one on the taxpayer mm. expense.
1: I, I, I don't understand that there is... Look, I really believe, and it's... The Governor General is a part of our system. It's a part of our system of governance, so it's not easy to just say, well, we'll get rid of them because they spend a lot of money. But there is going to come a point, I am convinced of this, there will come a day and there will come a point because we're already seeing interest and support for the monarchy dropping with younger generations. There will come a point when the Governor General will be eliminated. Somehow there will be some sort of constitutional rewriting or something. That is not out of the question in my mind, and I I can't believe that these governors general don't see that they are greasing the skids to make that happen. They are making this hurry up and happen sooner.
3: Well, you know what I always say, Scott? I always say whether you support the monarchy or you're against the monarchy, you should be against this type of wasteful spending, right? In fact, even if you, like, especially if you support the monarchy, You should be against this type of wasteful spending for for two reasons. I mean, number one, I think everyone should be against the waste of taxpayers' money, and everyone, I think, even if you're the biggest government supporter, you would rather that money be allocated in a different way, in a better way. Um, But to your point, right, with the people, um, you know, the support for the monarchy dropping in Canada, at least from the polls that I've seen, If you are a real big supporter of the monarchy, you should be so frustrated about these stories where the governor general and her 30-person entourage spend about $100,000 on airplane food, right? Like, it's these types of stories that people hear about when they work so hard for the income that they make and the taxes that they pay. It's these types of stories that make people feel like they're rightly being ripped off.
1: Yep, no, absolutely. And look, so let's move on to the next one then, because I think it's the exact same thing. We learned this week that uh, we knew the prime minister had gone on Easter weekend to a couple day vacation in Montana. We had been told that it was like twenty four thousand, twenty three, twenty four thousand dollars that it had cost. Turns out, we learned this week, it was two hundred and thirty thousand for a for a weekend getaway. Now, I got to say, and I'm going to bring you in on this one, but I, I under I don't want people to say. You know, the prime minister can't just fly by himself and not have security. I I absolutely understand that. I absolutely understand that. And yet somehow, if you're going for two days and it's going to cost the taxpayers $230,000, maybe, maybe you say, that doesn't seem like it's a good use of taxpayer money then because I am going to have to take all these security people. Maybe I'll stay in Mont-Saint-Tremblant or, or like whatever else, somewhere that's not going to cost taxpayers this much money.
3: Or like the cottage mansion yeah. that taxpayers are already paying for. <laughs> Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, that too. Look, like Okay, first of all, a, a trip costing us $230,000, largely because of security expenses, I'm not a security expert but I have a hard time believing that that can't be done properly for significantly less money. But the issue there, really the issue besides the dollar figure, is the fact that the government told parliamentarians and by effect Canadians that it costs about $24,000. And then now we learn that it's $230,000. Excuse me, folks, that's not exactly a rounding error, right? That's hiding crucial information from the taxpayer. And then also, I don't know if you saw this, Scott, but we released just today... Trudeau's Tofino vacation cost taxpayers two hundred and eighty-seven thousand dollars. So Trudeau is taking taken three vacations this year, and the total cost to taxpayers is about six hundred and seventy-eight thousand dollars. Right, so three vacations, huge cost to taxpayers. And don't forget, folks, I mean we're already paying uh, for the prime minister's country retreat mansion. Uh, so this is a huge expense for many people.
1: So, okay, Uh, let me break this down for a second because uh, $230,000 is an extraordinary amount of money when you have to take your... your uh, armed forces and the RCMP and all the rest. It's, it's a huge, huge, huge number, but I gotta say, but if you leave that out, so the first number that was listed is saying $24,000 for a couple days in Montana, and you're not including all your security who goes on a $24,000 two day vacation. This is this at a time leaving aside the money part, Franco at a time when his government is struggling so much with the public to connect on the fact that they don't seem out of touch and people can't afford homes and food. And, and, and um, Poliev is just totally dominating in the polls because he's winning this argument. How do you possibly make the case that I am just an average person doing a $24,000 two-day vacation?
3: Well, you can't. And he's not. Like, he is so financially detached from your life, from my life, from your listeners lives. They're so financially detached. And Scott, this is another reason that we've been consistently beating the drum year in and year out to stop these pay raises that they've been giving themselves. And here's why, honestly, when you become financially detached from the people that you're supposed to represent, this is what happens. It's very difficult to implement good policy, to make good decisions for the people of Canada the people that you're supposed to be representing, when you live a completely, completely, completely detached life from them. It's not even close. Yeah, It's not even close.
1: I just go back to the question that I asked off the top, and it's the same for the prime minister, and and look, it probably will be the same for future prime ministers. I'm not suggesting that Trudeau is the only one we've seen presidents do it. It's It's you get into these positions where suddenly you have access to this stuff and somehow you lose the ability to show any kind of restraint. And I don't get, I've never been there, but I don't get it. I would have to believe if you are someone who is representing the public, surely there is something in the back of your head where you say, this is not the acceptable or right thing to do to just be spending this kind of money.
3: You know, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not going to pretend to be. I'm also not going to pretend like I'm the fly on the wall when they make their decisions, but I can just say as an outsider looking in, it sure doesn't feel like they're looking out for just us average Joes, us ordinary Canadians, right? I mean, we go to the grocery store. uh, We have to make legitimate decisions about even just a, a package of ground beef nowadays, like holy smokes, right? It looks like we're getting less. We're paying way more. I mean, it doesn't feel like the government's really thinking about the issues that matter to us. In fact, at least to me, it looks like the government's kind of going out of its way to make our lives a little bit more expensive, right? Um, so it's these types of stories, the type of waste, whether it's the governor general's limo service, spending $100,000 on airplane food, or it's the prime minister, three vacations, hundreds of thousands of dollars billed to the taxpayer. It's these types of stories, like I said previously, that just really rile me up, that really boil my blood. Mm. Because it, it really is feels like the case that they either – don't know or don't care how hard people work for our money that we earn and the taxes that we pay.
1: Okay, let me throw one more thing at you in the time we got. Sure. Um, I I do not believe that politicians, even if they are handsomely paid, I don't believe politicians should not be able to take a vacation. I think they are like the rest of us. Uh, I don't have an issue with them taking a vacation. I don't have them. I don't have an issue with them going away on a vacation. Yep. But here's my question: Why why could we not? have it done slightly differently where you say the we know the security costs are going to be involved, but anything beyond security, you or your party have to pay for the cost of that rather than putting it on the taxpayers.
3: Well, no, I agree with that. I mean, look, they, what they do pay for, according to the PMO, is that they have to pay back some portion of flight costs uh, that would align with some co- commercial flights. Now, I have no idea how much that is. I haven't seen the PMO be transparent about it. Maybe they have. Maybe I missed it. I don't know. But here's the thing. Like, three vacations costing taxpayers six hundred and what seventy-five thousand dollars this year alone? I, I agree with you. Everyone is entitled to take a little bit of time off, and it's probably best for every profession to do that, right? But I do not believe that we have to have a prime minister billing taxpayers essentially – $675,000 uh, on a year's worth of vacation. Yeah, I just, like To me, like it, ha- it there's no way that we can't do this for less.
1: I would say, and this is across all parties, I would say that political parties, if you're advertising for your government's great work, that should not be coming out of government revenues and taxpayers, that should be coming from parties' revenues. If you are talking about your leader going on a vacation, I'm okay with that, but that should be coming from your party's revenues. Raise the money if you're it, within the party and Oh, man, I the taxpayers would be so impressed that you actually showed care about their money for a change. I just I, I don't know why they don't do it, but maybe I because they like don't have so to we're
3: so starved for that, hey? I feel like we're just so starved for someone to be someone. like I respect you. I respect you, and I'm going to stick up for you. I just feel like Canadians are so starved.
1: Someone, anyone, anybody lead by example, and we will stand and applaud. I think every single person will. Anyway, that is Franco Terrizado. He is the Federal Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Have a great Thanksgiving, uh, Franco. Thanks for doing this.
3: Hey, you too. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900
0: CHML.
1: Tomorrow, Saturday, October 7, not just my sister's birthday. Although, happy birthday, Raquel. Uh, also, a game against Saskatchewan in Saskatchewan, which, you know, look, uh, the even though the Riders this year not having the year that they would have won, it's 6-9 right now. They're third in the West, but that's only because they got two teams in the West that are really good and two teams that stink. Calgary and Edmonton, the Alberta connection <laughs> this year. So Saskatchewan's right in the middle of it. Um, even though they're not that good this year, Saskatchewan, Regina is still the beating heart of the CFL. So anytime the Ticats go out there, it's, a, it's, a, it's good. It's, a, it's an important game. It's a really important game. But it's also an important game because you're playing in Regina. That is where this league matters more than anywhere else in this country. And I know, look, I'm not putting Hamilton down. I'm not putting Winnipeg down. It's just Regina is different, and on top of that, the TyCats are going into Regina to play a game just days after George Reed passed away. I, if you are too young to remember George Reed, and I'll be honest with you, I I'm too young to have really to have seen him play. I've seen highlights. I've read and heard the legend of George Reed. I am familiar with. How outstanding a player he was. If you don't know the story of George Reed, he was an American guy who, like so many others, back in the um, 60s, I guess, late 60s, came up here. What year did he start here? Um, uh, 1963 was his first year with the Rough Riders. Came up here from the States. And... But uh, 10 years ago, thereabouts, when TSN did its poll of experts of the greatest CFL players of all time, they did their top 50 poll. You may remember that one. It was widely publicized, talked about a lot. Uh, when they did their top 50 poll of the greatest CFL players of all time, Doug Flutie was number one. George Reed was number two, all time. Ahead of Jackie Parker, ahead of Mike Pringle, ahead of Warren Moon, ahead of Garney Henley, Ron Lancaster, Russ Jackson, Wayne Harris, Alan Pitts. Those were the top ten at the time. But he was number two. He is a Saskatchewan legend of all Saskatchewan legends. Outside of the old stadium. I don't know if the new stadium has it or not. But outside the old um, stadium, outside Mosaic Stadium the street was George Reed Way. He was a big, big deal. He was a uh, just a huge part of the legacy of that franchise. Well, he just passed away on October the 1st. They will be honoring him. That's a big deal. I don't know how many players today, it, I don't know how many, how much it will resonate with them, but I got to tell you, fans there, the fans, this is a big story. This is a big deal. So the Thai Cats get to go out to Saskatchewan and get to play there. And... It is a just a monumentally important game for Hamilton because they're still trying to catch Montreal. Still got a chance. They can catch Montreal. They could maybe have a home playoff game, but you don't want to drop this one. This is a game you should win. Especially because under center for the Ticats is going to be, it appears, he's listed as number one. He's listed as the starter. Bo Levi Mitchell. Bo Levi Mitchell is back. He's been out for weeks and weeks and weeks. The guy that the TyCats spent so much money on. The big free agent prize that they got in the offseason. Hasn't played much for the team this year because he's been injured twice. And when he was playing, he, eh, he wasn't great. Let's be honest, he wasn't great. Now... The argument is that, well, you know what? He had, he'd lost his starting job last year in Calgary. So he comes into Hamilton. He hasn't played a lot, but he'll work his way back into shape. He'll get his way back, his timing back and his touchback and everything else. But then you get started, you're out. You get started, you're out. So, you know, his level of play, we don't know what his level of play really should be expected to be. We don't know what it's supposed to be. He hasn't played a lot of football in the last couple of years. But we're down to the home stretch now of the Tiger Cats season. They've got Saskatchewan tomorrow. They've got BC, very good team, next week. And then they've got Montreal, which could be a game, if they don't blow it before then, could be a game to determine a home field game in the playoffs. But this is now... Not just about winning a game, although that is certainly a huge part of what tomorrow is going to be all about. It is about getting Bo Levi Mitchell going. Because here is the enormous challenge that you've got if you're the Tiger Cats. Here is the conundrum that you face if you're the Tie Cats. Matt Schultz is back now. He's healthy. He's your backup. Uh, played pretty well. If you bring Bo Levi Mitchell in, and you have to, he's your starter, he's the guy you paid all the money to. When he gets back healthy, you have to put him back under center. You have to. You can't just say, we're paying all that money and tying up so much of our salary cap, and then not playing the guy. You have to. Bo Levi Mitchell is playing when he's healthy. He's healthy, he's now playing. But you're also very close to the end of the season, and you are very close to the playoffs. What do you do if Bo Levi Mitchell gets under center and he doesn't play the way you hope that he will? Let's bring in Rod Peterson. He is the former voice of the Saskatchewan Roughriders. Now he's just the voice of everything to do with sports west of Manitoba. Uh, uh, Rod, how are you today?
0: I'm very well, Scott. Sorry I'm a little delayed here had my phone on silent from uh, my show today.
1: So no worries, know. no worries. We're just talking about the fact that Bo Levi Mitchell is seemingly back, but he has played very little football the past couple of years. We're getting close to the playoffs. You're the Cats; You have to play him, but what is, what's the Ty Cats conundrum if he is not playing at the level that maybe he should be just because mm. he's rusty? What do you do?
0: Well, I was going to ask you what you guys take was on it, but you kind of just said that they have to play him. I'll be honest. When the news came down today, I had just had Jim Barker on my show and he said, he said, Scott, we have no idea who's going to start at quarterback for Hamilton tomorrow. And was within five minutes news came down that it was going to be both. And uh, when I'd heard that he was practicing this week, I thought, Why? The Ticats have been one of the hottest teams in the second half of the CFL this year with a combination of Taylor Powell and Matthew Schultz. If it's not broke, why fix it? Or, you know, that whatever the saying is. Yeah. And, uh, and so <clears throat> later on in the program, we had David Sanchez on, and we were kicking it around. And you're, Honestly, my take is you're paying the guy $500,000, Scott. Um, you you want to get your money's worth out of it? And I think what it really boils down to is they need to win. If they win, they clin- well, they've already clinched, but they can eliminate some other teams uh, in the West. They have a lot to play for. So they're going out to win the football game, and they think Boog isn't the best chance. That is the, that's the long and the short of it. Um, I'm not sure that I would be doing it, but uh, I'm not the coach of the team. Now, having said that, there's a lot of pressure on Orlando. There's been a lot of, I think, questionable decisions in his time, both when he was just head coach and now as the general manager as well. So I, I think this will fall on him ultimately, but um, what I've been told is it had a lot to do with Scott Milanovich, the offensive coordinator, who we'll probably would have had the final say on this. So certainly puts a very interesting spin on this. Uh, I'm with you. I guess they have to do it, but I still think we're all kind of surprised.
1: Well, And again, I mean, Bo Levi Mitchell, he, he was the prize of the free agent pool last year and the Ticats landed him. So yeah, I, I say you have to play him, but He hasn't hardly played almost any football this year. He didn't play a ton last year, and the year before that, he wasn't great. I think he still has it in him, and I think with the right system and the right play calling and the right guys around him, he can still be Bo Levi Mitchell. I just think, man, there's an awful lot of questions this close to the Mm. playoffs bringing the guy back who really hasn't played a lot of football lately.
0: Well, it might be the ideal time to do it. Can you imagine if it was the last game of the regular season or if it was the playoffs <laughs> that he was finally healthy? It was, at least, you know what, they're giving themselves a little bit of runway here to see how he plays. I've watched all the games, Scott. I'm with you. and Well, that didn't take wasn't a lot of film on both this year. <laughs> Gone to the sixth game twice. Um, but, yeah, this, he's had too small of a sample size to even say whether it was, whether it was good or bad for the Tiger Cats. I'm with you. He wasn't great in Calgary last year and that's why they moved on from him. But I'll say it again, I'd like to say that I was right going into the season. I said I'd never bet against a motivated bully by Mitchell. No, so so so, yeah.
1: so far he's got the Aaron Rodgers highlight pack from this season. I mean that's about how much oh, yeah. film there is on him. But so okay, so let, let me put you in that place then. So so he comes out uh tomorrow and Every Tycat fan is hoping that you know, with Milanovic and with the players who are now in midseason form, that he finds it, and boy, all of a sudden you're dropping—not even arguably, absolutely one of the greatest CFL quarterbacks of the modern era into your lineup. Beautiful. That's that's the that's the dream scenario. What if he's not playing well? Though? What if he's rusty? What if he isn't hitting his targets? What if it's not? Right. Because these are, you're right, uh, Rod, off the top of the thing, you were saying this is an important game for Hamilton. They're trying to chase down Montreal to get a home field playoff game. Uh, I don't know that you can just throw these games away just to get one guy going.
0: Uh, Well, I think that they're in a, it's a luxury because if he is rusty, as you say, and isn't that good, they've got at least one, maybe two other quarterbacks they can go to. God, I mean, you know, you mentioned it off the top. I worked in the league 20 years. I know this. It's better to have too many good quarterbacks to yes, start versus yes. not enough. So they're actually, uh, I think, in a really good spot here. And then I apologize off the top. I spaced on why this was such a big game for Hamilton, because I know what it is for Saskatchewan. They haven't clinched yet. right? So if the if the Riders win this game, which everything's riding on them and we haven't talked about them, and I don't expect that we will. But for Hamilton, yes, they've already clinched. But... It's the financial aspect of hosting the Eastern semifinal and just being at home, you know, being at home in a place that they want to defend and play in in the Grey Cup. Yeah, that's what Hamilton's playing for. So one thing Jim Barker said on the on our show today was it's a must win game for both teams. I mean, we're building all these games up really uh, in the CFL this weekend as playoff games. Um, the one tonight with Winnipeg at BC is for first place in the West. We'll probably decide who hosts the West Finals. So, man, Scott, this is why we love the CFL, particularly this time of year.
1: One State more games. One more, Bo Levi Mitchell question then for you. Do you think there uh, is a coach in the CFL who, when their team goes out and pays all the money to get the big star, probably pays him as much as any other guy who's playing in the league? Is there any coach who's got the you-know-whats? to mm. decide to sit that guy down, or do you just have to run with him?
0: No. Hey, I've seen it. I've seen it before. You don't see it so much in the NFL, but in the CFL, the number, the, the money is not the same as what it is in the NFL. I've seen a lot of big, high price guys by CFL terms sat down if the coach thinks that the backup gives them a better chance to win. I saw it in Saskatchewan with Henry Burris and Nelon Green, and that's going back a real long time. Danny Barrett was the coach, who is, by the way, now with the Houston Texans. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they sat him down, because they and your fans are knowledgeable fans. There, they they know, they can see what's going on on the field. I don't even think they would argue with with it if they thought that Matthew Schiltz or Taylor Powell gave them a better chance to get to the Grey Cup than both. I don't doubt that for a second. Do you?
1: I I well, look, they're hosting the Grey Cup. They. And we saw in the last Grey Cup two years ago that was here, you've seen it in Saskatchewan as well, hosting the Grey Cup and having the team, mm. the home team playing in it. It is a massive difference as far as involvement and engagement and how excited the city is. They got to get to the Grey Cup somehow. So uh, I'm, I'm with you that I think they would go with, uh, even if they have to go with Bo, I think they would probably have a quicker hook than normal. They got to get there.
0: Uh, yeah, but I'll, I'll stick to this. It's a luxury that they've got, let's just put it this way two backups they've won with, and Bo's the guy that they paid. So they're actually in a pretty good situation overall. Um, but if it doesn't work out, Orlando's going to have a lot of questions to answer or Scott Milanovich. But uh, the more I think about it and talk with football people, you can see why they went this way.
1: You think the, you think the Ticats front office is going to pull a Ross Atkins and plan the game out ahead of time? Uh, we won't even go there. Sorry, let's not start that one. Um, <laughs> so, okay, yeah. we only got a few seconds left here. Very quickly, because we talked about it before you came on, but uh, take 30 seconds if you can, just for those who aren't old enough to remember. I'm sure the riders are going to be honoring George Reed at the game. Uh, explain mm-hmm. George Reed.
0: Second best player voted all time CFL history came to the CFL in 1963, Scott, because it was paying more than the National Football League. Nobody, you talk about young people, nobody would believe that. And he went on to retire as the CFL's all time leading rusher. Just a cool, cool cat, uh, an absolute icon, uh, you know, originally from Mississippi. Played at Washington State. He's as good as they get, and he will be honored at this football game on Saturday.
4: Mm.
1: Um, And justifiably so. We'll never fill that void. Yeah, no, justifiably so. Uh, Rod Peterson, host of the Rod Peterson Show on Game Plus TV. Uh, Always appreciate having you on here, Rod. Thanks for doing this.
0: Thanks a lot, Scott. Happy Thanksgiving. The Scott Radley Show weekday evenings from six to eight on nine hundred CHML.